Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you're listening to us where you listen to us, but we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, wherever you want to hear us. We're probably there. If we're not somewhere, please let us know, and I'll do our best to get there. We're right. also live on YouTube. Uh, usually Monday evenings between 5 Central and 10 Central. Uh, <clears throat> when we go live, we do post it on our social media. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash criticspod. It's the best way to help support us. Uh, we have several bonus episodes there. We have more planned. Uh, that are exclusive to Patreon, some of them. So if you want to hear those, they're more music-based, uh, but the occasional deep dive movie as well. And then T Public, if you want some of our merch, head to tpublic.com and search Critics Pod, or go to IHateCritics.net and click on the T Public link. All right, let's jump right into the show. You want to lead off with the Critics Choice Documentary Awards? Yes, uh, because I was a uh, part of the nominating committee for the Critics Choice Documentary Awards, which uh, the nominations were announced today. Uh, seven nominations for a pretty amazing documentary called Fire of Love received the most nominations. Uh, this is from Nat Geo. It's actually, I believe it's available on Disney Plus now uh, on their Nat Geo channel. And it's narrated by one of my favorite directors. And I wasn't even going to watch this one because I was like not particularly interested until I saw that Miranda July, one of my favorite directors, was the uh, narrator for this one. So I watched it. It's actually this <laughs> very weird story. So there are not many people in the world who are volcano experts. Like, there are not many of them. So the fact that in the 1960s, two of them met and fell in love and became a team, a husband and wife volcano team, is a pretty great story. And these two people documented most of their work in their lives uh, doing this. They're very quirky and unusual, and they died tragically. And there's a whole long story uh, about that, but it's also got this just um, the, some of the most amazing volcano footage that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, like they've captured the most documentary footage of volcanoes in history, uh, and and the things that they did. There's one. Have you ever heard of an acid lake? Mm-mm. So there are lakes in, in America that are just and, and around the world actually that are just acid if you touch them like you could literally like burn your hand off like <laughs> the husband being a guy who's fascinated by this decided to build himself a boat that he felt could go out on this acid lake and you watch him do this like you watch him and it's and it's like the dumbest thing you ever seen because like they're sticking things in the water and they're just melting <laughs> and his wife's on the shore just just can't she can't believe how dumb her husband is and that kind of thing it's just weird and fascinating, the weird things that they did, getting within, you know, tens of feet from from active volcanoes. And, you know, you actually do, it's very educational as well. You learn a lot about, like, which volcanoes are dangerous and which ones aren't. Like, uh, there are some that aren't dangerous just because, you know, the lava is flowing. And as long as you don't step into it, you're fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you see the gray smoke, run your ass off as far away as you can because that one is incredibly dangerous. Uh, it's fascinating. It's such a strange, beautiful, fascinating story, and I'm so glad to see that it was the uh, lead of the nominations because I, I really wasn't sure. I thought for sure that uh, 
the Judd Apatow, Jared, George Carlin documentary, which I thought was okay, uh, was going to be the one, but uh, turns out, no, it was Fire of Love, which is fantastic. It's the uh, it's the documentary that received the most nominations. It received a Best Documentary Feature nomination. It's not going to win for me. It's not getting my vote because my favorite documentary, Moon Age Daydream, which is my number two movie of the year, uh, is, uh, is also nominated for Best Documentary, so I'm going to have to vote for that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I love Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary directed by Brett Morgan was also nominated for Best Director, as well as Best Archival Footage, where it's up against the Beatles documentary, which is another one, which is pretty great. Uh, didn't get nominated for Best Documentary feature, that one, but uh, a movie called Aftershock, which is available on Hulu. It's about the epidemic of black mothers dying in childbirth and trying to figure out why that keeps happening. Why is it black mothers that this keeps happening to? It happens to white mothers, too. But predominantly, when it comes to uh, post-birth deaths, the it's, it's predominantly black women, and nobody knows why. And this documentary gets to the heart of that in a very real way. Um, also nominated for Best Documentary is The Automat. Uh, the Automat is a very unusual documentary about a uh, restaurant chain that uh, basically they put the food in little windows and you walked up and you pulled the food out of the window and you sat down and ate it. <laughs> Interesting. Unusual story. It's unusual, but it, they made a great documentary about it. Uh, Descendant is on Netflix. I've actually not seen that one yet, but uh, I will now that it's been nominated for Best Documentary. Uh, Gabby Giffords Won't Back Down is all about uh, the former congresswoman who was shot, uh, shot in the head and survived and has since become a, an advocate against gun violence. Goodnight Oppie, which is available now on Amazon, is about the Mars probe that was left behind on Mars and uh, what they've tried to do to try and... Uh, actually, there's two of them, and they've tried to rouse it back to work just to see if they could get it to go again. This is they haven't, you know, one of them was just sitting there and was sitting there for many years. And fascinating documentary narrated by... Angela Bassett, an amazing score for it, uh, which also received a nomination. And uh, yeah, pretty terrific. Uh, HBO documentary called The Janes, which I'm not sure is out yet, but uh, it is uh, all about the women who were the, the original Jane Doe's, the women who were uh, helped to legalize abortion back when it was first legalized. And obviously, that could not be more timely <laughs> right now the, the, than ever. So definitely check that one out. Another one from HBO, Navalny, is about the man who has uh, been who's provided really the only in-country opposition to Vladimir Putin, uh, a man who survived multiple assassination attempts and is still speaking out against Putin while staying in Russia, which is, wow, the balls on this guy. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Uh, then there's Sydney, which is all about Sydney Poitier, and that one is going to be, I think that one may be available now on Apple TV, and if you're fascinated by the life and career of Sidney Poitier, it's certainly one that you must check out. Yeah. <clears throat> All those sound interesting. So the Carlin one wasn't nominated for anything? or was It was it? nominated for Best Director uh, for Apatow and his co-director, and it received a couple other nominations. I think it's good. It's, like, just, I, I, it's like everything else Apatow does, it's fat. You yeah. Know? It's just really it fat. That long, yeah. It did, definitely it, it held my attention well enough, but I don't think like in terms of the best documentaries, like Fire of Love is so much more, so much more intriguing. And like, you know, Aftershock has this amazingly important topic and Moon Age Daydream is just just pure magic and beauty of, you know, stuff of David Bowie's work that you've never seen before from the Bowie archive, all put together by 
Brett Morgan so skillfully that it just it just feels like a daydream. You just you just live within it so much. It's so artistic and beautiful. I I really I'll never stop watching it. Can you imagine when the Prince documentary comes out someday? It's oh like my god! Seven days long because of all the footage he has. <laughs> Give that to Brett Morgan yeah. right now. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm really curious, especially uh, the the volcano one. Sound, Fire of Love sounds really, really. Especially when we went to Montana, my wife kept she was all freaking out about the super volcano. And oh. do, do they go into that at all? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of volcanoes around the world that they they spend a lot of time talking about different ones. Because she's so worried that it's gonna blow any day. And I'm like, they're, they're just, yeah, I don't know. The uh, documentary awards are going to be live streamed on Facebook and Instagram Live uh, on Sunday, November 13th. For anybody who wants to watch, and Wyatt Snack is going to host. Awesome. I love Wyatt Snack. All right. We have a very different show than normal. So uh, <clears throat> we will start. Uh, we'll bring back uh, a movie I briefly talked about last week, but because I'm not nearly as good as Sean is at the stuff, I had him watch it. He watched it on his own. Uh, Two Leslie. Two Leslie stars uh, Andrea Reesborough as a woman named Leslie who won the lottery, won $190,000 in, li- in the lottery, and then managed to piss it all away. Uh, she uh, lost her family. She disappeared for a while just disappeared right inside of a bottle. And this story about her finally sort of stepping out of that again, uh, when she meets a guy played by Mark Marin, who runs a hotel, he decides to take pity on her and give her a job. And they develop a very complex relationship. Meanwhile, she's dealing with, you know, all the people that she seemed to have hurt and have hurt her and are continuing to hurt her. Uh, people are played by Alison Janney and Stephen Root. Uh, tremendous cast. I mean, an amazing cast, but an incredibly emotional story about uh, about alcoholism and the difficulty of recovery, and uh, this rather lovely and delicate romance between uh, Mark Maron and Andrea Reesboro. You've mentioned something about his accent, and I, I got to tell you, you're right. I bought in. I bought in on the accent for Mark Maron. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a Texan, but I bought in on it enough that it didn't distract me. Uh, Andrea Reesboro, I mean, I just watched her the just the other day in another movie where she was incredible that is coming out soon from a director, Andrea Kramer, that everybody must see that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be out soon and then I'll be able to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, she's just having such a she's such an amazing actress. She's so versatile and and strange and she's not not typically Hollywood. There's just nothing about her that is typical. And she lives this role so deeply and like to, to this bone deep sadness to the point where like I got a little past the halfway point and was starting to wonder about the movie and whether or not we're, wa- we're watching misery porn, like how much more misery is going to be heaped upon this woman before something else happens. Um, thankfully it does, it does turn around. It does get better. And by the end, I, I was very emotional. I was, I was, uh, I teared up at the end. It was beautiful. Good. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, I, I should not <clears throat> question my opinions and things, but sometimes I wonder if I'm just too, uh, close, not close to it. Cause I don't know really people alcoholism, but I definitely have people that are going through a tough time and I can kind of, you know, extrapolate this movie on them. 
uh, and I wasn't sure if I was doing that or not. And and on top of the fact that we would do blonde at the same time, which is misery porn. Uh, so I just wanted to just always curious, you know, if <clears throat> I think you're also you've got a really you know like a you love Mark Barron, you've got a strong connection to right. him. You heard a lot of the movie, and that can you know that that can create a sort of a, rec- a form of recency bias, where like you're eager to like something that he absolutely talked about it so well. Absolutely, it. yeah, so that's yeah, really cool to appears to be in in the conversation for the for best actress at the end of the year. But of course, Julie, I think she might be competing with herself. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. The other movie she's in, nobody's going to see it, so it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, she'll be going up against herself and Mia Goth, but <laughs> right, <laughs> none of them will be there. It's Andrea Reese from, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah. yeah so oh man! But the probable winner of Best Supporting Actress starred in a Halloween movie. <laughs> This week, uh, how do you want to do this? Do we just start with this one and then go back and talk about all of them, or? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I guess let's. I mean, I, this is a great idea. Let's start with this one because Michael Myers doesn't show up for forty-five minutes into the podcast or the movie anyway, and then yeah. he he's just in the shadows. So you got to wait another fifteen minutes to see him. So you're over an hour before Michael Myers is truly in the movie. Uh. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the David Gordon Green, or is that his name, or whatever, the trilogy he put together. Yeah. No, no, I'm not either. Uh, Halloween Ends uh, essentially stars Jamie Lee Curtis once again as Laurie Strode. She's uh, uh, now, is it four years since the last movie, I guess? Yeah. Passed in this timeline, so I don't really know what the timeline is. Or how Michael Myers still exists where he exists. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> they don't care about that. He lives in a does sewer, Michael, by the way. Michael just... have to take a piss? <laughs> does he ever have to just take a piss? Like, does Michael just step off screen and, and go take a piss or something? Or or is it a supernatural thing? Because I don't supposed to be supernatural, but at the same time, like, four years, the guy doesn't eat or sleep. He just stands there frozen to the wall. What's <laughs> the implication that we get? It's definitely supernatural, but they because they kind of play with it in this one with the other whatever they do with the other kid and his eyes and it, but they don't commit. I don't know. It's it really is a mess, and it really is. <sighs> and it's like I can sit. You look at the Rob Zombie ones, and I can blame the studio. I feel like they gave Danny Boyle and <laughs> David Gordon Green way more freedom than a lot of other Halloween directors get. And Ooh. this is what they came up with. So <laughs> I, I, I don't, this isn't, I don't see a lot of studio heads, you know, making this deciding, yeah, let's put Michael Myers in a sewer for an hour into the movie. Uh, <clears throat> so there's really no one to blame. But these guys. With, with a different killer. Why don't we do that? Right. Uh, the story begins uh, in a flashback uh, to, I'm not sure if it was a year prior or three years, who knows? Uh, this kid, uh, Corey, played by Rowan Campbell, is what is a babysitter. He's watching a kid. Something happens to where he ends up accidentally killing the kid. Uh, cut to several years later, everybody in town still blames him for killing the kid and calling him murder and bullying him. And he basically just tears up. And why is everybody picking on me just because I killed somebody accidentally? Sorry, uh, the kid is so whiny. 
He's so whiny, and I just couldn't buy in. I couldn't buy in on him. It's a, it's, I don't, I don't want to blame the actor. I think he did exactly what they asked him to do, but man, it's just such a whiny, teary performance. And I just couldn't buy in. Like, make him evil, don't make him evil, make up your fucking mind. You know, I, <laughs> the movie wants it both ways. Like, the first kill he does, the first real kill that he does, he's like very conflicted about it. And, <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, it's just, it's tiresome. It gets tiresome. And the idea here is that uh, this kid is constantly picked on. Lori sees something in him, so she immediately introduces her to to her uh, granddaughter, uh, played by Annie Matichak, and the two immediately develop a romance. But then something happens to where Lori can see that he's turned evil. Uh, he touched Michael and the evil went into him or some bullshit like that. And uh, then it becomes <clears throat> Lori versus this kid while... Michael Myers is sort of there, kind of, maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's really bizarre. The plot is so bizarre. This kid you know, begins to torture and uh, kill people on, you know, in, in the background to you know, do things for you know, Allison's character, the Allison character, and uh, then he's kind of killing people that he just doesn't like because he just doesn't like them. Um, then he turns on Michael and says, Michael's just a guy in a mask. Uh, and then he had, tries to kill Laurie Strode. It ends up, spoiler alert, it ends up killing himself to, I guess, <laughs> like in a truly like right wing fashion, just stick it to the libs. <laughs> just, I'm going to own myself to stick it to you. <laughs> he sticks a knife in his own throat. Ha ha, I got you, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking dead, but I win it. What the fuck? This movie's terrible. It's really bad. I've seen a lot of defenses of this movie as like people saying this is kind of the anthology version of Halloween that that uh, my, that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wanted when they made when they wrote Halloween three that they wanted to turn into an anthology and and the idea here being that you're going to have you know Laurie and Michael as the connective tissue to the main Halloween universe and this kid being sort of a tangential to that as a another killer who makes it into a sort of Halloween anthology, but I, I just don't buy into it. I really don't. And then I'm the same guy who wrote about our connection to why people are connected to the Halloween movies. I do believe that I had a good theory on that. I don't necessarily think when you watch the movies, <laughs> I don't think the movie is intended what I read into it, but I, I still think that's a, a fair reading of it. The idea of Michael representing your problems every day and how you can't run from your problems. Um, I was surprised by the ending a little bit. I thought for sure when they had him, uh, they grind Michael's bones uh, in a grinder <laughs> to make sure this time he can't get up. I thought for sure he was going to grab Lori's leg and like pull her in or something. Right. <laughs> one one <laughs> last little fuck you to the whole universe, but uh, they didn't do that. And uh, congratulations for not doing that movie. But uh, <laughs> I, I really... I love Jamie Lee Curtis, and I, I liked a couple of moments for her. You know, there's this moment where she's, uh, you know, you think maybe Laurie Strode might be going to kill herself, uh, and and she's, and then she, it's all just a ruse to to lure Corey into the room so she can pull, pull a gun and tell him to go fuck himself. That's kind of a badass moment, but by then the plot is so convoluted and silly, and the whole, you know, his involvement with Michael Myers, like. It comes back to the problem that I've had with Michael Myers the whole time is, you know, this kind of, is he or is he not supernatural? What are his powers? What? Is, why does he do what he do? What do you, why does he do what he does? You know, that 
the thing that people bag Rob Zombie on, and I, I will too, because I don't think those movies are very good, is he tried to give Michael some kind of inner life explanation, right. like, you know, like a Freudian explanation for why he does what he does. Uh, it didn't go well. It was a terrible idea. <laughs> it was poorly executed, but he tried to do that. That was his way of making it different. Everybody else praises the other Halloween movies because Michael seems to have no motivation until it's, you know, then we need a sequel. So we've got to give him motivation. And I, I've never bought into this character. I don't buy into him as any kind of horror icon. I think, I think this movie and really all the Halloween movies boil down to a marketing campaign and a score. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah, I, I'm really not never was a huge Halloween fan other than I do like the first one but at the same time I feel like you have to kind of put yourself into 1978 or whatever and realize that there really wasn't anything like it but maybe Black Christmas <laughs> before it like that and even Black Christmas was smaller you never saw the bad guy uh, I mean and clearly you go watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre it's not a slasher movie it is its own thing uh, they take it and turn it into, I mean, <clears throat> eventually turn it into this with Leatherface. But even Texas Chancel 2 was Toby Hooper being like, you want me to do what? I'm going to do this. <laughs> so whether you love that movie or not, the, the, the full punk rock attitude of that movie is great. Uh, Better than any Halloween done. Yeah, I, I think I see why the first Halloween is decent. Uh it's low budget. It's got that, you know, <clears throat> independent spirit to it. Uh, an amazing score. I, I like the camera work. Uh, it, it is, you know, it's basically a movie about the boogeyman and it's, you don't know if it's supernatural natural or human. And there's just, you never really know what's going on. And then you throw in the fact that nothing like this has really ever existed in this fashion. I get why it was scary at the time. After that, there's not a sequel I like. I, it, you know, you can say what you want. I mean, it really is. It's like I, I think the two Rob Zombie movies are two and three, and that's not great. I mean, I think number one, Rob Zombie's number one is all studio saying, "Well, you can't do that. You can do this," and he's trying to mash up together what he wants to do. Uh, number two is actually a total clusterfuck unless you watch his director's cut which there's no reason for you to ever waste your time doing that. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I actually, to, to, to prep for this, I didn't want to sit through those movies, so I, I read I reread what I wrote about them when they came out, and then uh, I watched this guy, Phelous, on YouTube <laughs> review them and just poke, just poke holes and make fun of the whole thing, and that really just reminded me of everything that I about those movies. We'll get to those. One of the things that bothers me about Halloween ends, and it really bothers me about a lot of the Halloween Michael Myers thing, is that this, this movie is so slack. Like, I never felt that moment of tension where my chest is tight and my breath catches. Like, I'm, you know, the, oh, man, I'm worried about what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen here. Because, you know, again, this movie makes that mistake of taking characters who aren't well-established, putting them in danger, and you're just kind of I don't really care if that person lives or dies. <laughs> like, the, the hospital staff members. Like, I don't want them to die, but I don't know them well enough or care about them enough to care either way. They're not characters. They're just they're just meat bags meant to bleed for Michael Myers and, and Corey. And 
serial killer named Corey. Good fucking Christ. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's just not. I'm sorry. Sorry to all the Coreys in the world. I just don't see you as serial killers. I don't. It's not a serial killer name. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I'm trying to think of all the Coreys I know. I can kind of picture a couple of them, like Jeffrey Dahmer type. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway creeps but I just don't see him as mass murder so yeah that's creeps all. you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no I just like I, there's no there's no great setup and payoff parts of these movies and that's been the true of the entire uh, run of this you know most recent one is that uh, Green is so eager to get to like his little homages or you know the, the throwbacks to the other movies that he doesn't ne- nearly do enough to establish any type of tension, suspense, excitement in that way. It all comes from the score, and it all comes from, you know, oh, there's Michael. Is he going to do something? No, he's just going to disappear. <laughs> well, it's all... He he never has the guts to go full Force Awakens, so it's never total fan service, but there's not enough original ideas to make it interesting. He never commits one way or the other on anything. So uh-huh. in the end, you're not, not buying into a lot. There's definitely like the idea of this Corey character, uh, you know, becoming a serial killer based on what he went through or even dealing with what he did uh-huh. in another movie that Michael Myers isn't in. And it's made by a real director. I, I'd be interested in exploring something like that, but not yeah. in this movie. I mean, the whole time I'm watching that opening scene, I'm like, here's what I would do. And I'm not even a director, uh, but here's what they're going to do. And they kind of, I guess I didn't see them, him killing him the way he did. Uh, but <laughs> still, I thought it was a total clusterfuck. I didn't think it was that cool. I didn't think it was that shocking just cause I didn't see it coming. Doesn't mean it was, it blew my mind, blew my breath away. You know, it was yeah. almost just coincidentally his parents came up with this. It was just kind of, I don't know. I just, and apparently they had all these written before they even made the first one. So it's, I don't, I don't know what Jamie Lee Curtis saw in it. Uh, she's the only thing that really makes it worth watching. If you, or I shouldn't say worth watching. She's the only thing that makes it work somewhat watchable. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's impossible to care. Very true. Very true. And, I uh, it really is impossible to care. I think because I came up with like af- after I, when I went to write about it, I came up with like three different movies that are way better ideas than what they did in this movie. Like if you want to do Michael and the partner thing. Why not have somebody who's on the edge of maybe becoming a killer? They encounter Michael Myers. They watch Michael Myers kill somebody who they think deserves it. They get a little taste of blood. But then when Michael starts going out of their control, suddenly, you know, that person has a valuable lesson to learn about not playing with evil and, you know, maybe coming around to being a better person by the end. There's a, there's an arc there that's better than what Corey does in this movie. That kid has no fucking arc whatsoever. I mean, he goes from being a good person to being a piece of shit pretty quickly. Uh, and, uh, it's not an arc. I'm sorry, it's just not. Um, Lori doesn't really have an arc. She's a badass. She's a badass. Like, there's no change from one thing to the next. Um, so there's nothing nothing to enjoy there. But I like, you know, if you want to make this interesting and you want to give Michael sort of a purpose, then why not lead into the goofy supernatural shit? Have him be controlled by somebody and send, they're sending him out to kill and all that stuff. Like, they didn't, and Six, which, Six, terrible movie. 
both versions are terrible, but like there's an idea there at least to give him some reason to do what he does. Right. And you can leave that and make it kind of silly fun. Or like the best idea of all is where has Michael Myers been for the past four years? What's Laurie doing to try and find him and turn it into a detective story uh, with him, you know, hiding out and hiding from her. And she's, you know, she's the one, you know, she, that's an arc from beginning to end from the beginning of the, of the third, you know, the first in this trilogy to this end is her waiting for him, preparing for him, him arriving, her getting overwhelmed and kind of pushed to the side, and then her coming back at the end to like fuck this, I'm going after him now. It's it's the the hunter is you know the hunted becomes the hunter, and that's a much better arc. Uh, like what has he been doing for these past four years? Is he still killing people? Is he you know what's what's been happening to Michael Myers all this time? Uh, yeah, I mean. Lori Stro, you know him going around and continuing to kill uh, while you know while he does what he does, and her trying to connect all of these various different killings that are going on to Michael Myers, but nobody believes her. They all think Michael's dead or whatever, but there are all these killings happening someplace. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting idea. At least it's more interesting than what they did with this. I think I think there's a lot of different, so more interesting ideas than what are here. Yeah, I mean I've. You'd almost have to get rid of the entire trilogy to go with my idea, but if you went with more of a Dark Knight type, you know the the Frank Miller version where he's in his mid sixties and having to you know be Batman. If you, some, I mean, Michael Myers is older than Laurie Strode is, mm-hmm. so you're not totally leaning into the supernatural thing, but you're clearly he's supernatural based on how many times he's freaking died. Yeah. In this, even in this David Gordon Green trilogy, he, he dies yeah. way too many times. Uh, so is that number two? All these movies, and I'm probably just for getting off track, but they're they're handcuffed by the mask. I, I mean, why is he wearing the fucking mask? <laughs> you know, and the yeah. fans won't let him take it off. I remember in the second one of Rob Zombie's that he doesn't really wear the mask at all, and everybody hated that fact but that makes way more sense than him wearing a mask 30 years later or 10 years later or two years later or even three days later it doesn't mean you know i get it one time but uh just do something or make it the you know maybe he did die and now it's just kind of it's it literally is a boogeyman that's always scaring you there's a million things to do with it uh-huh. yeah and i really don't know how you do it where it's going to be amazing because uh, it is a Halloween movie, so you either lean into fan service and make the Force Awakens for Halloween, or yeah, try to do something completely original. But if you're going to do that, why not just make your own movie that's not called Halloween? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I just there's nothing. This is bad, and I only have one guy to blame for. It. Maybe two if you want to throw in. Uh, Danny McBride, but yep. those those two, the cast is fine. There's nothing wrong with the actors. That when it's bad, it's poorly written. Uh, it's just a bad story. All three of them, all around. And I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I think I I I think uh, they're I think they're more watchable than the Rob Zombie movies, just because I find the Rob Zombie movies to be insufferable. Uh, the characterizations, especially of Laurie Strode, is just like the the worst human being on the planet. I never want to see 
that actress in anything again. Honestly, she was so ter- so terrible in that role, and just everybody just being a piece of shit uh, just makes those movies just a miserable experience for me. But like this, this is like a Peacock version of like a horror movie. Like this is this is a horror movie that belongs on the Peacock Network. It's a, it's a kind of vaguely watchable, inoffensive, kind of bloody uh, horror movie that you know. People can cheer at. It's got those moments where you could cheer at if you wanted to cheer. If you didn't, if you're like me, and if you're unlike me, and you can, you you can accept what you're seeing uh, in this. I guess there's enough here that is passable. Like it's mediocre. It's it's the country music of horror. It's just mediocre enough for a lot of people to enjoy. <laughs> but is it? I mean, you don't see Michael Myers for over an hour. Mm-hmm. So not only are they trying, they're up their own ass while trying to be mediocre I, it's i i don't know i think more of the yeah this one is worse like this is probably the worst of the three oh, but. for sure uh yeah i think they gradually get worse but i but yeah i don't think you they've committed enough to fan service if you really wanted to which i suppose if you did that uh jamie lee curtis might not have come back and i don't know what she saw in their scripts and their ideas, but uh, she she killed off Laurie Laurie Strode twenty years ago and then still came back. Yeah, I don't know. All right, what do you want to do next? How do you want to? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> what do you got next in your posters? Oh, I, you got the whole. I got a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you kind of got to break them into sections. You got Halloween one and two. Uh-huh. You got four, five, and six. You got H two O and the one she dies in. Uh-huh. You got the Rob Zombie ones. You got Halloween three, and then you got this trilogy. Uh, in terms of the canon, Halloween jumps from the nineteen seventy eight movie right to twenty seventeen. Right. As I, as I understand it. Correct. They totally get rid of Halloween two. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is not the sister of Michael Myers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, let's, I mean, just the, the original Halloween. I, the thing that frustrates me about this is the idea that this is the movie that John Carpenter has to be known for. Because uh, realistically, this is this is a movie he made that uh, is just sort of like it's like the it's like a practice round for him. He's like doing the things that uh, that are. You know, it's just good enough as a as a as a director who's doing something maybe for the first time. He's, you know, he's doing some experimental stuff. He's having a little fun. He's making a, a very forgettable B movie for the most part. He's going to go on to make far better, far more original, far more interesting movies in this. And it frustrates me that people keep roping John Carpenter to this. Thankfully, he was smart enough to walk away after the first one, knowing that this was, you know, as much as he's you know contributed since then to try and make something more of it. I, I think he knew what he had in that first one was just kind of this is my directorial practice round because I don't think he puts a great deal of effort into the original Halloween and he doesn't certainly doesn't care about whether or not it makes sense. He likes to you know he, he is playing with form, but he doesn't care if it makes sense that a guy who's been in a mental institution since he was ten can suddenly drive a car. <laughs> Who taught the big murderous guy to to, to go to? Hey, Michael, you want to go for a drive? Let me teach you how to drive a car. 
like that doesn't I know we're supposed to ignore that. I understand. We're also supposed to ignore why he just shows up places and stands there and stares at people and then runs away, apparently, when they look away. Like, I just love the image. It's my favorite thing about Halloween is the idea that he's standing somewhere watching somebody for a moment. And then they look away and they look back and he's gone. And it's just him, like, running down a hedgerow wearing that stupid mask. Looks so silly to me, but that's the image that I mean. That's the image I keep coming away from with Halloween is just too many dumb questions. What, like I, I, those people who say that he has no motivation for what he does, they're absolutely right. But at the same time, he has no motivation for what he does. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why does he steal his sister's grave marker? Why does he steal that and then put it in a house that is not his house? He puts it in just some random person's house over some random victim he has no connection to. Like, why? Why did he do this? Why does Michael Myers take so much time to pose his victims? Like, he kills a guy, stabs him to the wall, takes his body down, takes it up to another room, reposes it in a different place so somebody can find it later. Like, why does he do that? Uh, it, it frustrates me. The, like, this is a very, for a guy who has nothing to say and has no personality, he's very ostentatious. Like, when you watch, the, when you watch Halloween Kills, he takes the time in one st- in one scene where he kills like three people and then poses them on a merry-go-round with Halloween masks on. And it's like, where did he get the masks and why did he bother? <laughs> why did he bother to do that? What is driving this? I mean, I know he's a maniac, but at the same time when you see him, he has no personality whatsoever. So what is it? He's a big personality in his own head, but he has no outward personality? It's it's bizarre to me. The the it's truly and I just don't get it. When there are so many characters that are so much more interesting. Even Jason Voorhees, who I don't think is a great character, is a better character than Michael Myers. He's Michael Myers the way that I think Halloween people want to see Michael Myers as. Because Jason has no motivation for what he does. He doesn't have a he's got a backstory, but I, realistically he's just he's like a monster just on repeat and he makes more sense what he does makes more sense than what michael myers does just on a on a micro level uh, and it's as much as that again the friday the 13th movies aren't good but at the very least he he makes sense in his universe michael myers when you try and they're trying to place him in this pseudo realistic con- context especially in the first film and it just doesn't work because he just seems very silly to me yeah, I <clears throat> I think it works enough in the first one, but I, I definitely get your, I, I agree completely with it sucks that John Carpenter, like this is the go-to for him. Although I think most Carpenter fans, it's like this is off here in the side and then everything else is over here in the center. And even when he comes back, to, I don't think he's ever trying to make the series good. I think he's like, fuck you guys. I'm just going to pay me. You know, I, I really think there's, you know, that's, yeah. that's his attitude towards this. And I, I think that's hilarious and kind of awesome. Uh, so I don't care that he throws his name all over these movies cause he's getting paid and he deserves to get paid cause he is a fantastic director. Uh, it, you know, it's just, I don't think the character is that great. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis goes on to be a big star. It's the first of its kind. It, it works on a certain level for me. Donald Pleasant is fine. Uh, none well, of it's, it's great, but 
fools a lot of people into, th- into thinking this is a better movie than it is. I really did believe that because he, he is so committed. Like, you cannot find an actor who is more committed to a very silly role and a very silly idea. Uh, but his commitment sells so much of this. Like, we're going to talk about one of these movies where I think he actually, he's the reason why it's actually the best one of this group. And I know that's a weird opinion to have, but I have it. And we'll get to that. Yeah, I would argue George C. Scott and Exorcist 3. <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie. <laughs> and it's actually good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't mind Halloween. I, I Again, I agree with you. I don't. It's far from his best. I do. A pre, I, I think he was trying. He had less money. It was just a different... It, I do feel like you can feel the independent spirit coming out in that movie. It when it comes out, it turns into something that wasn't its intent. So it's really, it is an impossible movie to look at with a fresh pair of eyes, no matter how, love it or hate it, no matter what you're doing, there's something, what it was and what it is are two different things and we'll never be able to look at what it was, ever. Nobody can. Uh, but, you know, and then they go to Halloween 2 to capitalize on it. Now, this before or after Friday the 13th, which is a complete ripoff of this. <laughs> I think Friday the 13th came first. Yeah. Um, this is where we get into the part where, like, I think I, I want to credit, you know, Carpenter. I think he had, like, an, like you said, like an independent spirit. Uh, but everything after that is just pure commerce. Like, every bit oh. of it is just capitalizing it on IP. That's all it is for the rest of the way. Because uh, clearly there is no, like, first of all, like, everybody talks about the original Halloween talks about how you know michael's interesting because he doesn't have a motivation he's just this unending killer who just does what he does without you know reason um and that's something that people admire about that movie but then the second one they they don't buy into that like even the makers of the original halloween didn't buy into the idea that he had no motivation because they had to go and make him make laurie strode his sister and now he's got a reason why he's after her and doing what he does uh, it's a very, again, a very silly idea here, though, is that Michael keeps, you know, he, it's the same night. He's shown up now at the, he's continued to look for Laurie Strode at this hospital. Uh, he's killing a lot of random people and posing them in fun ways. <laughs> uh, first of all, why does a whirlpool have a super hot setting that can melt your skin off? Like, why would they have that? As why a, would you put that on your whirlpool? As an <laughs> owner of a hot tub company, legally, you cannot. Maybe it's because of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> it makes no sense to have that, but they have that. And he's able to burn a woman's skin off for reasons. Um, <laughs> I I really don't know. Like he gets, he goes on, he's like a GTA villain. He just kind of goes on these side quests where he's just like, okay, I'm going to kill this person. And just, I, Oh, there's a, somebody I can stab or shove their head into boiling hot water or, Here's a person I can just, I'll, here's a nurse. I'm going to stick a thing in her and drain all of her blood onto the floor. Like, why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> kind of felt like it. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm trying to find my sister and kill her or whatever, but, like, there's a nurse and I'm just going to drain all of her blood out of her. I don't know. Why, why not? <laughs> and, I mean, if you look at a movie, and this came out later, but Henry Porter was a serial killer. He does weird things after he kills people. And it's terrifying. This guy is a goofy character in a mask, so... I get why the idea should be terrifying, but we're never that invested in the killer in that way where, you know, it's as terrifying as, uh, 
you know what Henry does in that movie. This is almost a cartoon bad guy in it. Because we watched him, we watched him get shot six times and fall out of a window. Like that's what we saw in the first movie, and then he just gets up and keeps going, like uh, the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps moving, and and he just he he feels no effects of it, and he's able to just continue on the same night, just killing several more people while filled with six bullets from Loomis's gun. I, and yet they still don't want to fully embrace the idea that this is supernatural in any way. And it's like, I get Donald Pleasant, they give him so much to do in all of these movies, trying to convince you that uh, well, he's pure evil. I mean, it's, it's the, it's pure evil. Evil drives him and it heals him and, you know, stokes his flames or whatever. And I, that's just not, it's not enough. It's not, it's not enough. I need more. I need more. Uh, something <laughs> make it make sense in some way um, that you can't make this make sense. Cause this is, again, this is not an artistic enterprise. This is all about commerce at this point. Like Carpenter may have had like Carpenter, I think was experimenting with form. I think he was, uh, he's a director who's trying to figure out how to be a director. And he's using the form of this you know movie. They let, they let him make this horror film. They gave him a couple bucks to make. It's right. like, I'm just going to try and, yeah, I'm going to make your horror movie, but I'm going to you know try out a few things. You know, I'm going to do the score for the movie myself and do make that truly iconic. And well, that, that's the thing is he only had so much money, and you see his other movies; they're way more expensive movies. He's a very big special effects guy. You know, the, he only has so much money; he can do the score, like you said, so he can cover so many things. Horror movies are notoriously cheap movies to make; doesn't cost a lot of money to make this movie. You got all your friends working together on it. Uh, so I can appreciate that. You're 100% right. Even, I mean, the whole idea for Halloween was a movie they were hoping nobody would ever see, similar to Friday the 13th, and it was a means to an end. It was a means to get to the next project. Yeah. And then it blows up and is a massive success. His other movies that he's probably way more prouder of aren't as successful, so now he's just like, you know what? Fuck all of you. Pay me. <laughs> and I, 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 don't, I don't mind that attitude based on how great his movies are and how every time one comes up, something happens and it's like big trouble. Little China bombed the thing bombed all these movies bombed and they're fantastic movies. And I, I don't mind that, you know, the, that fuck you, you know, Robert De Niro, even how he's takes all these shitty roles because of Jim Carrey, <laughs> you know, I get it. I, I don't, I, I don't like watching the movies, but I don't, I don't blame him for one second for doing that. And, I'm the same thing here, but it doesn't make the movies any better. <laughs> no, the, it, it just is when something is nakedly purely about commerce, I find it very much hard to enjoy. Like I think you know, big budget blockbuster Marvel movies. Yes, they're they're truly about profit. There's no question. But I think they've, they've partnered enough with actual people who care to make it something more than that. I don't think that the people who are making Halloween to very much cared about who made it. I don't think they cared about who who was in it. They wanted Michael Myers and a knife, and you know, go at it. Just give me more blood, give me more victims, and and uh, we'll just put it out uh, close to Halloween, and it'll make money. Now, I do appreciate what they do with three. Now, three sucks. Don't get me wrong; it's <laughs> terrible. But I do like the idea of okay, fine. You want a Halloween movie every year, but at least we'll give you something different. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and they picked, they just did a horrible job with Season of the Witch. One of, I mean, 
a movie that does not hold up. I, I mean, I've heard people defend this before, but Jesus Christ, is this bad? Love defending this. I don't understand. I really don't. There's a um, sex scene in this that is. I mean, not to get up, jump ahead, but you know, you got what is it? Tommy Wallace. That's the guy, the actor's name or whatever. Uh, I don't Tom Atkins. Tom. Yeah. And you know, very much older man with a very young woman and. They're in a hotel room together, and he's like, should I sleep on the sofa? And she's like, no. And then all of a sudden, they just start fucking. I mean, it was just like, there's no there's no chemistry. There's no lead, there's no hint that it's even going to go that way. And I was like, we have to do this in this movie, because that's what you do in movies. And it's just a waste of time. It's creepy as hell in 2022. Oh, it is. like. It's like, it's like watching, watching a young woman have sex with one of her dad's friends. <laughs> and he doesn't ask her her age to like round two. <laughs> it, it, but anyway, go ahead. I I just jumped to the creepy parts. <laughs> the idea of uh, Halloween three is that uh, there's this evil company that makes Halloween masks that also makes like gag products. And they're Irish for some reason, <laughs> and they've taken over a town for reasons. Uh, they're going to put out a product that is going to kill most of the people who buy their product. And the whole motivation apparently is a joke. <laughs> it's like somebody, it's like, like somebody read like half an episode of twilight zone and thought I can do something like that, <laughs> but I've got to fill 90 minutes. So I'm just going to throw in a whole lot of bullshit. Yeah, it was, I, I, and that stupid song, This Is Halloween, is so annoying. It's, I mean, it's, it's memorable. It's an earworm. I think I think that's the true joke. I think that's the joke they played on the audience, is that once you hear that thing, it never fucking leaves your head. And if you, if you watch that movie too many times, you're going to end up taking your own life just to get rid of that song. <laughs> Clearly, nobody's watching it more than once because they're defending it and they're still alive. <laughs> if they were true fans, they would have killed themselves <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the idea that anybody like these these masks what the fuck makes them so special it's like a fucking pumpkin a witch and what, like a ghost and like everybody had to have them it was just everybody stupid. had to have them like why though <laughs> they're not that great like <laughs> they're not i mean i can't imagine that they were very breathable they didn't look comfortable in any way you're wearing just just this rubber thing that's covering your entire head you're probably just sweating like crazy. You're just finding it difficult to breathe in the damn thing. And then it shoots fucking lasers at your head that grow snakes for some reason. <laughs> How they die from the mask? I don't know. The fucking shoot lasers, some shit, and they turn into snakes. Well, you're fucking me asking me this. We just make the fucking movie. <laughs> Are you sure about the lasers and the snakes? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just, just get out and just go make the fucking movie. <laughs> Shouldn't we give the main villain a motivation? It's a joke. Just tell them it's a, they, they're telling an elaborate joke. Whatever. I don't care. Just fucking make the movie. Go. <laughs> That's the that was the creative meeting for Halloween three fully reenacted. Yeah. It's like I want to see that that you know how the, that Key and Peel bit about uh, Gremlins two. They should do that for this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that would be and just John Carpenter sitting there like, what? <laughs> All right. 
Freaking masks and lasers. Snakes. What? Laser snakes. Got it. Yeah. Whatever you guys want. All right. Why is Halloween 4 your favorite? Because <laughs> Halloween 4, at the very least, it, it, this one picks up with, again, we've got Dr. Loomis, but uh, Lori Strode has apparently died off screen in a car accident. She's had a daughter who is now Michael's target uh, for killing. At the very least, like they, they took a little bit of care to create those creepy moments where where Michael Myers is a real threat, where he's not just, you know, like I, I often refer to prankster Michael uh, because he's, he's, he is a prankster. He likes to play little pranks on people. <laughs> he likes to show up places and just like boo and then run away. Like he's a little prankster, Michael. Uh, that that movie, at the very least, Halloween 4, it doesn't have as much of that. Michael is like, when he's going to kill somebody, he's there to kill them. He's not, you know, there's less, a little less fucking around. They take a little bit of time to establish some suspense. They give you some characters who could very well be in danger. Uh, you know, even though they have main character powers, they could be still potentially die. And there's a little bit of tension here and there. There's a little bit of those moments in Halloween Four where I was like, "Oh, you know, like that." That's the, necessarily breath catching because it's not a very good, not a very well directed movie, and it, they don't have a lot of things to work with. It's still so nakedly commercial that that it still has that absence of soul. But at the very least, I thought the direction was a little bit more skillful uh, and a little bit more thoughtful about creating actual tension in whether or not somebody is going to live or die. Specifically, uh, there's a character who is the adopted older sister of, of uh, Jamie Lee Cur- Laurie Strode's daughter. And that character finds herself in peril a couple of times where she's a character who's just expendable enough, but just like main character enough where it tears like she could die in the movie. And I never once felt that Laurie Strode was ever in any actual danger in the first two movies. Like never once. I never feared for her life one time. <laughs> she had full main character powers from the very beginning. Uh, this character, at least when they put her in a dangerous situation, I thought maybe there's a chance because, you know, the, uh, the little girl, uh, Laurie's daughter is the main, main character. She's the one who needs to be, needs to survive this. And then I kind of liked the little twist they did at the end. I liked Donald Loomis. I, I liked uh, Donald Pleasance as Loomis. Like, now, now, as silly as it is, like, it got me. Like, I could sense, like, Lo- like, like Loomis would, would react that way to that situation. I, I liked that he pointed his gun at it and was going to shoot a little child. I thought that was kind of, that's fucking different, you know? Uh, most most movies wouldn't have the balls to you know do that, uh, so I appreciated it. At the very least, they took a, a couple of chances and just made it a little bit tighter. It's a, again a little bit of a tighter edit than the other Halloween movies. Did you watch all of them? <laughs> I watched through four, and then of course I watched the uh, Halloween Kills, and then right. I kind of skimmed the, <laughs> the rest of them. So I didn't see Halloween five. So four, five, and six, if I'm not mistaken, they're kind of their own little trilogy where they they kind of go into like this cult idea. Is that kind of? I, I don't think that one necessarily. I, the Thornton cult. I don't think it actually comes up until six. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, four and five are are about the daughter. Uh, the five. Well, four is about the daughter. The sec five is just like a sequel to four, where they just kind of lightly expand but pretty much do the exact same thing as the as four 
but with less like less likable characters because they do kill off the sister character in that movie very early on, and then they leave you with a really shitty character that you're kind of like, oh, why the fuck is she the main character now? Wow. <laughs> uh, so that's five, uh, but six, so six is wild. Standalone thing. Seemingly, yeah, because I don't think they necessarily introduced anything about the Thorn Cult until six, which the Thorn Cult is this idea that a cult controls Michael Myers. They've set him on a path to kill his family for reasons to sacrifice to some kind of ancient god or whatever. And uh, standing in his way are Loomis and uh, Tommy Doyle. The kid from the first movie, now played by Paul Rudd, who has spent his entire life researching the Thorn Cult and researching Michael Myers and why Michael Myers does what he does. Uh, Loomis is friends with a guy who is actually a character, I think, in the second movie, but they changed actors for him in the sixth movie. Uh, But now he's the head of this Thorn Cult that controls Michael Myers and... uh, There are elements of the, the director's cut that aren't bad, uh, there are ideas there that are expanded upon, like giving Loomis a lot of time to develop his character. Funny thing, like the funny thing about the the new, different cuts of six is that in you can you know that that Donald Pleasance is the best thing about six, and then you find out when they put out the theatrical cut that the director Joe Chapel cut out all of Donald Pleasance's performances, basically just cut it all out because he thought Donald Pleasance was boring. Uh, which just shows you what a shithead he was. <laughs> Fucking Donald Pleasant is amazing. Uh, he's the only one who really gives a damn about anything that's happening in this fucking movie. Uh, but he said he was boring. But then you watch the, the the producer's cut of it, and you see that uh, you know they put all of his they put all of Loomis's story back in. They they do take a little bit of care in creating a story from Michael that makes sense for why he does what he does. They give you the Paul Rudd character who. Uh, isn't particularly great, but he does serve a purpose enough. Uh, you know, it's Paul Rudd. He's never bad at anything, and he's not necessarily. This is certainly the worst performance of his career, but he can't be bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I. My brother used to have a podcast with some guy from Fangoria and a couple Iowa filmmakers who do horror, and it was like a five-hour podcast. It was terrible. He hated doing it. <laughs> Anyway, they they were recording it at a restaurant, and they were talking about the four, five, and six. And I don't know how I don't know why they were talking about those four, but they literally called Joe Chapel because the guy from Fangoria had his phone number, and why they abandoned the whole cult storyline, and it was just because Jamie Lee wanted to come back for H two O. Like they had more movies in mind to keep going, and then they just totally threw out the cult idea because. <laughs> They wanted to do the 20th anniversary. Now that's also just his version of it. And mm-hmm. this is, I couldn't tell you where that podcast is or even, I just remember hearing it. This is probably 10 yeah. years ago. Uh, but I just, I don't know. It typically, I don't know if I've even seen four, five, and six. So I'm being totally honest with you. Uh, I mean, I know I've seen one and two, but I'm pretty sure H2O existed. So clearly I knew Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't going to die. <laughs> So, uh, I don't really have any close. I don't really have anything close to any of these movies. I was some a Rob Zombie fan. We can get to those in a little bit, but uh, other than that, I don't. I just four, five, and six. I have no real interest in going back to and no um, real need. Like I mean, it, they're as nakedly commercial as every other 
Halloween movie. You know, they, it's not about making a good movie. It's about making making money off of the intellectual property that is Michael Myers. And I, I mean, I gotta believe H two O and Resurrection are the two most commercial of all of them. Or am I wrong? Or no, no, you're absolutely right because H two O is like a Kevin Williamson version of of hollow of a Halloween movie. Uh, I don't know if he wrote it, but it's certainly in his style. Like they're definitely trying to be scream. Right. Uh, that's why you bring in Josh Hartnett. That's why you bring in Michelle Williams. Uh, and you know, you've got, uh, and then you bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, uh, Lori Strode is now living as a teacher uh, at a school. She's got a son played by Josh Hartnett. Who's dating a girl played by Michelle Williams. He's got two other friends who are there to be killed by Michael Myers. LL Cool J is there basically to get stabbed, but then come back at the end and be the guy to save the day or whatever. But I liked a lot of what they did in H2O just because Jamie Lee Curtis is so good. Uh, there's the, like the, there's an element there of her being pretty good. And I, I really like the ending of H2O because the ending of H2O uh, has this you know, big accident where Michael Myers is in in an ambulance, he gets thrown down a hill. He ends up being like he's like trapped under a piece of wood, and Lori's there, and she's got an axe, and he's still trying to kill her. Even he's pinned to a, uh, this ambulance by this tree that's on him, and he's still trying to kill her. And she just, you know, she just feels she feels like a moment of like sadness for him, but then she just chops his fucking head off. And I thought, yes, good, okay, this is done. All right, we're, we finished the Halloween thing. We don't have to do this anymore. And then they made Resurrection. It's like fuck you. <laughs> somehow, somehow, Magic Mike once again, I uh, it is seen that was not in H two O. Managed to kill the ambulance driver, who still tries to kill Laurie Strode, even though he's not Michael Myers. <laughs> but he crushed the guy's larynx, so the guy couldn't say he wasn't. Michael Myers, why are you still swinging a knife at Laurie Strode? We don't know. But nevertheless, why you still tried to kill her? Even though that wasn't technically him who was getting his head chopped off. I don't know. They just needed they needed to make another movie to make more money, so there it was. Well, H2O, they went full Force Awakens, and that's, you know, definitely fan service, entertaining. Uh, and trying to capitalize on Scream. And they, well, for sure. <laughs> And but that you know they looped her in with a contract where she had to do the next one, which I don't know. I think she thought she was getting out of it by killing Michael Myers at the end to bring her back. She's like, you know what? If you're gonna do this, you gotta kill me right away. <laughs> she did not want to be there. Uh, very clear from her performance. It's very clear she doesn't want to be there. She makes no bones about it in those first ten minutes of uh, of Resurrections. Is like, just get me the fuck out of here. Can I don't want to be a. I don't want to be in a scene with Buster Rhymes. Just finish me off right now. <laughs> right. All of Resurrection is unwatchable. I uh, the basically the setup is that uh, once Laurie Strode is out of the way, Michael Myers is returning to his house to do whatever. I don't know. Put his feet up. Sit his lazy boy. Get old. Whatever Michael Myers is going to do. When he when he arrives home, he finds that a. Uh, that a reality show crew has moved into his house and they brought in a bunch of teenagers to spend the night, Halloween night, in the Myers house. Um, not a terrible premise, but terribly executed, I would say. Uh, certainly this is the kind of, I think this you could make this horror movie and not have Michael Myers be the killer. You could do no this. Shit. In any, you know, I'm sure this didn't start out as a Halloween script. I'm 99.9% certain 
that this was not initially a Halloween script. They made it a Halloween script and added the Laurie Strode bit at the start. Right. Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks uh, are the producers of this of this horror reality show. Uh, the you've got uh, a couple of recognizable actors who play the you know the the cannon fodder uh, for Michael Myers to kill, including the kid from Rookie of the Year. <laughs> An American Pie, that guy, Thomas Ian Nicholas, uh, who just gets done dirty in this movie. Um, it's really terrible. It's just so bad. Uh, when, when Buster Rhymes is doing like karate kicks on Michael Myers, uh, and they and busts into a room at the end and says "trick or treat, motherfucker," it's like it almost realizes that anti kind of anti humor. Almost, it becomes almost. It becomes almost comedy without intending to be comedy. Like, I think they might have thought they were funny, but they don't. They're not. It's not laughing with you. It's laughing at you. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, there is an age where that's badass. You know, there was also an age where Jean-Claude Van Damme standing in front of fire during Hard Target was really cool. And at some point it just wasn't. And, I, you know, I believe I was when I realized that wasn't cool, I was of, I was younger than the people who made Halloween resurrection, I guess is what I'm getting at. So where, where, why did they think that was cool and badass? I don't know. Yeah. There's a distinct, uh, hello, fellow young people vibe to this movie, especially the way these characters talk. The, the, you could tell like a 45 year old guy wrote, who's writing like 18 slang for 18 year olds and trying to come up with, like, I know how the kids talk these days. It's very clear. It is very cringe. Very cringe. Hard to watch. I mean, I guess where my interests in the Halloweens lie are more in the behind-the-scenes stories than the movies themselves, which I think is... There's a lot of movies I'm that way with, but, you know, just the fact that John Carpenter has no interest in being there, but he's like, pay me. You know, the, the <laughs> even the Laurie, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis not wanting to be in Resurrection or the idea of Halloween three, the whole four and five. And then the, 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 there's just, I don't know all that stuff. I find interesting to me, which I definitely apply to Halloween, the Rob zombie remake, (laughs) because I, he taught, he does a lot of interviews about this and was not happy with the studio at all. So he'd never make another remake again after this because he was so miserable during the making of it. You know, you mentioned appreciating the fact that he tried to give it a backstory. Uh, I appreciate the fact that he he made changes to try to make it his own. Uh, he made the teenagers annoying because guess what? Teenagers are annoying. It's more <laughs> realistic. I You're never going to make Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, so why not go a total 180? Doesn't work for everybody. Works for me. Make but, her unwatchable. <laughs> I just, I just, make her a teenager. I, 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 I didn't... I could at least buy into that a little bit. I they did go a little too white trash for me a little bit at times, especially early on. Uh, I'll, I'll give Rob Elmsley this in terms of his production design. You can smell those movies. <laughs> the first half, first half of the first one. I you know it, he does totally shift the way he directs it from you know that shaky cam to a very still cam halfway through, which you know leads me to believe he's not a total hack like a lot of people think he is he knows what he's doing 
but you can't, I don't know. It, it definitely was commerce and he didn't want to do commerce. So I, the whole dynamic of that, them butting heads, I found interesting about the movie. I think it's one of the more brutal of all the Halloween movies. There's no goofing around, but I, I don't know. I, 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 it's kind of all over the place. It's, it's too long. I'd rather they would have just stopped before they got to the Halloween part, you know, the actual original movie and just did the backstory somehow mm. again, tied down to the mask. I think the kid wears a mask at some point and it's just, Oh, it's very silly. It's very silly. Looking at a child wearing that mask, but it the crowd it, erupted. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, it's like, it's a, as a, as Phelous, when he was watching his reviews on YouTube, and uh, I, I urge everybody to check out Phelous. He's done amazing horror movie reviews that are all very, very funny. Uh, he basically, when he said the, when he showed the kid wearing the mask, he said it's like somebody shrunk Michael Myers in the in the wash. <laughs> it is really very silly. I, I really adored that. But it does go there. All the questions he asked in the first Halloween that John Carpenter did, he tries to explain how he gets in a car, how he does this, how he does that. At least he made an effort for that. We all had the questions. Most people were afraid to ask the questions. And I, I don't mind that. I actually think Halloween 2, the director's cut, is very, very good. Uh, but what they released to theaters is probably one of the worst movies ever made. That said, I think Halloween 2, the actual director's cut, is the second best Halloween movie of all of them. But, and I, I don't know, he kind of turns Laurie Strode into the killer at the end, which I thought was a really cool way of doing it. Uh, I mean, I did enjoy watching her get shot. That, that I did enjoy that. I wanted that character to die uh, painfully. <laughs> I don't think he dies in the director's cut, so... <laughs> darn it yeah <laughs> and I, I guess i also would i appreciated the fact that they went a totally different direction with uh, loomis I, I again what's the point of remaking the movie exactly the same so i i, mm-hmm. I and nowhere you can't get a better actor to play a, a slimy little doctor to cash in on something than michael uh uh malcolm mcdowell uh i don't really love the character as much I love Donald Pleasance, but it, at least they went for something totally different. And Malcolm McDowell does that. Uh, I just don't think a lot of people liked what they were doing with it versus it being I think, bad. I think what he, what he did, what, what was really unfortunate about the way he approached it is that he approached it in the same way that so much of horror at the time was approaching horror. And that is that in making every character just awful, like giving you nobody to root for, there's just no rooting interest. And if I don't have a character that I care about that I want to see survive, I find it hard to enjoy these movies. Like the hostel is the same way where it's like, they just create these miserable characters that that you almost like the whole point is just watching them die. Uh, I think one of the, the, the best horror movies create a situation where you have a character that you identify with, that you follow, that you root for. And, you know, maybe they don't go the way you think they are like midsummer. I, I mean, that movie, that Florence Pugh's character, you're with her the entire time. The other guys are kind of dicks. The guys she's with are kind of dicks. and But they're not dicks to the point where you want to see them die, but they're realistic dicks. And uh, 
they do things that end up getting themselves killed. And then, but then there's her and the way her arc from beginning to end is so fascinating. You're identifying with her and then you get to the end and it's very shocking where that character ends up. Uh, and I, I love that about that movie. I love that about so, you know, hereditary is the same way where those characters, you fucking care what happens to those characters, regardless of what they're doing. You care what happens to them. I didn't care about anybody in any of those movies, like at the very least in Halloween, I cared about Laurie Strode. I, I gave a damn whether she survived or not. Uh, she was in, she was a good enough. They gave her enough, uh, enough of a presence that she seemed like a good person who didn't deserve to have this happen to her. Whereas the Laurie Strode of Rob Zombie's universe is just such a piece of shit. She's just such a garbage person that you, I didn't give a fuck. And everybody in those movies, Michael, everyone, is just such a garbage human that I just didn't give a fuck what happened to him. Yeah, and I, that stuff, I mean, I that definitely you're right. There was an era, a time when that was more, I, I don't, I'm not as bothered by that. Uh, it, it is what it is. It's just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like rules when it comes to movies. So the fact that, you know, there are rules. It, but it, that can do that that can create you don't have to make every character likable but at the same time if every character is the same miserable piece of shit what am i supposed to watch here what am i watching for well and, I, and I guess i disagree that they're miserable they're annoying because they're teenagers but they don't really do anything miserable or or shitty they're just annoying people <laughs> so I, I don't know i just I like the real the attempt at realism better that that lacks in other movies. Whether you know, I, I, that's what I appreciate about it. I understand I'm bringing a bias to it. Uh, I you know, and I also can apologize for it because I know the studio was a pain in the ass making him do certain things he didn't want to do. Uh, and I don't know. That's just that stuff doesn't bother me as much. Uh, I. I'll never, I'm not, I don't love all Rob Zombie movies. I love Devil's Rejects. That's the one I really like. The rest are, I definitely see flaws in the other ones, but I don't know. I have a kind of an appreciation for these compared to, I think the other ones are just, I think all the Halloween movies are really, really bad. (laughs) And I think his are two of the better ones, but that's not saying much. (laughs) I mean, Halloween 4 is not a good movie, but based on, if you're going to, we're definitely grading on a curve when it comes to these movies and so I'll take I'll take four over the other ones because it's just it's just tighter uh it's yeah the the editing is a little bit tighter the the idea is a little bit tighter there's some actual tension in you know there's a, a scene begins they they let the tension and suspense build as to what Michael's going to do he does his thing you relax for a moment they build it up again Michael does his thing like it, at the very, it's rudimentary, but it, it it's better than what the other movies have done, as far as I'm concerned. It's st- it's still terrible, but <laughs> better. And H2O, I would say, even though I think it's kind of, sh- I think it's a shitty, you know, again, it's another forty uh, five year old trying to talk like teenagers and <laughs> and trying to cat. It's clearly a cash in on screen. I think it's more skillful than than the other movies as well. Just the direction is a little bit better. Than the other ones, it's got a better budget, so it's got a better aesthetic. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis does seem to care. Josh Hartnett is a really good actor who can do a lot of things, and Michelle Williams is one of the best actors in the world, even in a really shitty movie. 
So at the very least, there are a lot of things you can enjoy about H2O, even as, again, I don't think it's a very good movie in the end. So I Halloween 4, H2O, the original, um, that's pretty much, you know, then, then I would actually say 6 just because it's just, it's just so much, you know, it's so much more ambitious. At the very least, it is very, very ambitious. Yeah, I, I would go the original Halloween is the best. Rob Zombie's director's cut of part two. I think it's the most ambitious of all of them. Uh, so much so that the studio fucked it all up when they released it. Uh, and then after that, I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, like I said, none of these are good movies. Yeah, as far like as I'm even H2O, I, like, there's so much money involved in that movie that it's hard for me to... Like that one, if you're grading on the curve, should be the lowest in a lot of ways because it had more... They put more effort into that one. So, But again, it's... This is all I silly. think H2O is my number two just because everything else is so very shitty. Oh, it's the most watchable. <laughs> it's it's a very it, it's the Freddy and Jason of Halloween movies, only not even that good. <laughs> Freddy versus Jason is actually a it's really actually good. A <laughs> yeah, this is like the poor man's. I know what you did last summer. Only it's Halloween. <laughs> I, I don't. I didn't want to give it a scream. Uh, Michael Myers to me doesn't belong in the canon. Honestly, he doesn't belong in in the big canon. Everybody puts him up there with with Jason and Freddy, and it's like he doesn't belong. As far as I'm concerned, he's he's a he's a marketing construct. He's a mask. Well, uh, Leatherface too. It, it's those. It's, it's Freddy and Jason. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, if Freddy is the most original, thought well thought out character that you know that. Even in the sequels that are ca- clearly cash-ins, you know, at least, at the very least, uh, Kruger is entertaining, and Michael uh, Robert Englund is right. very entertaining. He finds he finds nuances, he finds little beats to play. He makes it interesting, he makes it different. Uh, and, and even in the worst movies, he's still again, Freddy is very entertaining. Um, Jason uh, Voorhees, at the very least, you you know, there's no characterization he just it's all about the mechanics of killing it all becomes about at least you know practical effects for you know wrapping something around the human body um and from that perspective you know as a horror fan i can kind of admire i can kind of admire the idea of like what would happen if you wrap a chain around a guy's head and then around then they uses the axe to twist the chain what would happen to the human head huh well let's try it (laughs) tom Tom, what do you got (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Friday the Thirtieth doesn't pretend to be something that's not Halloween. That's the the problem. And really, the other the later Texas Chance movies, they're trying yeah. to be something they're not because you know, and that's not. It just doesn't work. I don't know. No, I mean you can't you can't do Texas Chainsaw again. I mean, Toby Toby made the definitive story of he made the definition of that story. He. Uh, even if he didn't even realize what he was doing, he made something that was so much beyond what it is. It's so much more than a slasher movie. It has so much depth and so much meaning. And when you place it in the context of it, of the time it was released, it's so reflective of the culture in a way that I'm sure he didn't even imagine it was. Which is why it's so much more a genuinely artistic thing because of that. You know, yeah. if you're trying too hard, your like, stuff gets like, last house on the left tried to do what yeah. Texas Chance Massacre did on accident. And that's where why one's so much better than the other. And 
Halloween, you know, you got lucky with the slow budget thing and they wanted to make it something it wasn't and you know and it just kind of ruins John Carpenter's legacy. I don't want to say it ruins it, but he is so much bigger and better and has better ideas. The that. fact that this that this overshadows They Live is just it, it's of great annoyance to me because They Live, uh, for all of its limitations, is a far better, far more memorable, far more ambitious movie than Halloween. But if you talk to any Carpenter fans, they're gonna they're gonna throw out They Live, they're gonna throw out the thing, they're gonna throw out Escape from L.A. Big, they're gonna have all these other movies. Their favorite Carpenter movie is something other than Halloween. It's the casual. Kind of, you, know, you, you, you don't have to like it, but you have to admire that he came up with a very weird idea and executed everything that he thought he wanted to execute with it. As bizarre as it is, uh, I, I love that movie. It same goes for what was the, oh gosh, the, the we did fog. another one. The, the, the Fog is a great movie. Yeah, that's another, like, that's a legitimately good movie that deserves more than Halloween for sure. Uh, but there, no, there was another one that we just did. Prince that was one of his of Darkness? Last- that one, at the very least, a big idea, a big idea. I didn't love that movie, but he had a big idea for it. And Halloween is not a big idea. Halloween is not many ideas at all. It, that's the reason it got made is because, you know what? We got enough money to make this. That's that's it. And this is what has come up. And whatever. People yeah. made a lot of money. <laughs> and thank you for giving us Jamie Lee Curtis because maybe we don't get everything everywhere all at once without her in it. And hopefully she wins the Oscar. <laughs> she deserves it. I'm all for that. All right. Next week, we've got, let me get the old book out here. Black Adam. Take it to paradise. My policeman. Uh, I was just having some fun with Sean and he agreed. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Sorry, I have another what your motivation for that was but here's my motivation there is another podcast that i really like called telling steve dave that's doing a big halloween episode and they said you really need to see abbott and costello meet frankenstein to understand our episode (laughs) which is a weird thing to do (laughs) so i thought oh maybe sean will go for it all right yeah why not and he said (laughs) okay i I mean i'm assuming it's available They, they said it was so uh, if it's not, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, we do have a pretty decent 1992 uh, zebra head, frozen assets, pure country reservoir dogs, and most importantly, Doctor Giggles. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that movie, if I may, just tangent for a moment. Uh, Absolutely, we're going to talk about it next week. But like, I already at that point in my life like had developed a very serious fear of the dentist via very bad experience I had with a dentist. So to find out there was a horror movie about a dentist really freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> and then I found out that it was the mentally challenged guy from Law and Order. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this obviously is, you know, I'm coming into that between 10 and 13, you know, these, you know, from 90 to 93. And this is my memories. The trailers for these movies are in Dr. Giggles. That trailer played all the time and never did go see the movie, but <laughs> I wanted Even to never. at one point. I never, like, my parents didn't let me go see much until I was able to start walking to the Geneseo Theater and 
seeing everything that came out and they didn't know what it was. Like I saw seven and no one knew I was going to see seven. They didn't know what seven was <laughs> till they found nice. out later on, like a year later from my uncle. Do you know they mm-hmm. kill a girl with this dildo with a knife on? <laughs> my dad's like, you saw that? <laughs> yeah. I loved it, dad. Saw it and loved it. <laughs> he still has not seen it. <laughs> like you don't understand the, when he watched, like when he watched Sounds of the Lambs, he had to like shut down the house. He heard it was so like this amazing movie, but he knew we couldn't even walk near the room. And so all he did was put this like, you know, make me want to see it more. Mm-hmm. And so it, that it was, I don't know. He's not a big movie fan outside of, you know, Stallone and Willis stuff. <laughs> so uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's play some flick chart before we go. If you have time, if not, we can sure, stop. Sure. It's up to you. Uh, frequency, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Ghost Dog. The Usual Suspects, Snake Eyes. Usual Suspects. Just pretend it doesn't have a director. Or, or a star. <laughs> or a star. Good point. <laughs> Man, I hate that movie now. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they just bring De Palma and Nicolas Cage and do. <laughs> oh man! There you go. Now <laughs> we'll just combine Snake Eyes and Usual Suspects. How amazing would Nicolas Cage be, by the way, in that role? I'm not. We joke, but if he redid every Kevin Spacey movie, that would be better. It would. It totally would. Hot shot, smoking the bandit. Hot shots by a lot. Never, never understood the appeal of Smokey and the Bandit. I never understood the appeal of Burt Reynolds. Like he was a massive star, and I, I mean, clearly it was before I was born. But I don't like. What did he do that made him so big? He had big dick energy. Big dick energy. He was uh, a different time. He, he just had just. He was the single most confident human being on the planet. He had the mustache. He had the you know, the. Just the confidence of a man who's like going to walk into a room and go and say to somebody, "This dick isn't going to suck itself." <laughs> Back when you could say things like that, <laughs> and I think there's people that wish we could go back to that time. I guarantee, sometime in his life, Burt Reynolds said that. <laughs> Probably a handful of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of big dick energy, The Last Temptation of Christ or Harold and Kumar go to or escape from Guantanamo Bay. Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Big Dick Christ. That's our next t-shirt. <laughs> I still want to wear that. Jesus' surprisingly Smith. large penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to make a shirt without Willem Dafoe on it. <laughs> <laughs> Big to Christ. All right. The Omen remake, Space Cowboys. Oh, fuck. They're both garbage. Um, I don't know. I, I, I could take a nap during Space Cowboys. Uh, Omen gets into, you know, the, the score gets a little loud and wakes you up a couple of times. I can agree with that. Let's go with Space Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> the 
People versus Larry Flint, seven. Larry Flint's a good movie. Seven is seven, so. Yeah, I absolutely love that movie. And then you throw on the fact that when I saw it and how I saw it, <laughs> that experience will never is a tough one to top. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin, Easy A. Easy A. Great movie. Love that movie. Teenage Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, Changing Lanes. I might have a different answer for this if it was the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is an all-time classic, but uh, uh, <laughs> Changing Lanes. The best part is you're not kidding. <laughs> like it's uh, That's part of why I hate going back and watching movies is because you either, most of the time they don't live up. Uh, but Ninja Turtles somehow, like, not only they live up, but exceeded seated by a lot yes wizard of oz wild things wizard of oz or kevin bacon's penis um wizard of oz <laughs> i wonder what pink floyd record you could watch wild things too <laughs> if you want you could sink a pink floyd record to, to kevin bacon's penis <laughs> <laughs> harry potter and the deathly hallows part two harold and kumar go to white castle Harry Potter. I, of course, I love Harold and Kumar, but yeah, Harry Potter for me. Yeah. Joe Dirt, Jaws 2. I honestly, I think even the shittiest Jaws movie I'd rather watch than fucking Joe Dirt. Yeah. The shittiest Jaws movie, at the very least, is funny. Right. Joe Dirt's never funny. It's just fucking miserable. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle, the aristocrats. The aristocrats. You know what? That 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 yeah, listening to comedians talk about that joke is very is very entertaining. Yeah, that's I used to go to bed just kind of rewatching that because you could start it anywhere you want in the middle of that thing. It's it is great. I don't even I didn't even know that thing existed. Yeah. <laughs> It's great as everybody does with it. It's fantastic. Are and then, you, you know, hearing, just hearing people tell Gilbert Gottfried stories. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest version of the aristocrats ever. Have you watched, you remember the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries on Vice? The, we used to, we, I think we did a whole season where we ep- reviewed every episode one time out of, but yeah. now there's the Dark Side of Comedy, but I don't know if it's the same directors, but it's the same idea. So they've done like Chris Farley and, Richard Pryor and Roseanne Barr and Greg Giraldo and Dustin Diamond. I was, if you get a chance, I'm curious, I'm curious your opinion of it. If I don't even know if it's free or where it's at, it's on Vice. I think I'm watching it on Amazon, but I'm just curious if they're any good or not. I, I can't tell if it's the fact that I'm interested in the comedian or if the fact that it's good. You know, similar to the Judd Apatow, George Carlin thing. I love Carlin, but I feel like. <laughs> It's not really that great of a documentary. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard the Farley story told so many times. I'm just not sure what new anybody could bring to that. Yeah. That one's the least interesting. And it's all, and now that I think about it, it's kind of like the cast of Mad TV is who they got to interview for all these things. Maybe it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Stuart Little, John Carter.
Let's do it a little shorter. Yeah, there's literally and figuratively. <laughs> Unstoppable, the great Muppet caper. <sighs> Unstoppable. I think that's a good movie. Notorious, Back to the Future. Notorious. I don't think I've Nothing seen. against Back to the Future, oh, no. but don't put it in something like Notorious. Have we done Notorious ever? We should. Yeah. If we haven't, we should. I own it. I don't think I've seen that one. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, Rent, 2005. My God. Um... <laughs> this is weird. It's like two decent movies and then two shitty movies. It's like all, all a night long. That's what it's been. <laughs> I mean... Um, I can't even like Tomb Raider and Angelina Jolie is very pretty. I haven't seen either one of them. Not that I did a Mazzella isn't just, you know, she, she's also not singing really stupid songs. And then here we go again. (laughs) Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Cool hand Luke. (laughs) I think we might end up flipping for this one. Spider-Verse. I love that movie, but I really like Cool Hand Luke too. Spider Man. Children of Men Bolt. <laughs> I guess Children of Men. I don't want to watch either of them again. Yeah. I've never heard of Unarmed Verses before. Alright, last one. Bonnie Hunter, Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys versus Aliens is I have to pick it just because the Bounty Hunter is so fucking miserable. It's just such a terrible piece of shit. I was doing the other I'm doing the blog thing, you know, we're putting up all my old movie reviews, so shot at the movies.blogspot.com for people who are interested. And the run that Jennifer Aniston was on making the worst movie of every year is something that someone perhaps me should write a book about because I mean, never before has an actor so appealing had a run of movies that were so immensely unwatchable. Like there's that one and management and love happens. Uh, There's, there's several other ones that are just like, not just bad, but like worst of any year bad. And like when the best movie of her run is the breakup, you can you, that should tell you just how awful her run was because the breakup is not a good movie. It is funny though because like it seems like that movie Gerard Butler took the torch and then he made the next four or five worst movies of the year after that. Yeah, they, they, he he got the thorn curse from her. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. All right, that is our show. Come back next week for. The Rock. <laughs> the Rock and Abbott, Constel- Abbott and Costello. All right. See you next week. Rock meets Abbott and Costello is a movie that should have been made. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you.